Look on the screen today. Here's our text this morning, Ephesians. Ephesians 6. I want to look at three verses today. I believe the Lord speaking to us out of these verses. We'll read these. Ephesians. If you have a Bible, I'll give you a moment to open it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. I'm going to talk about the battle today. The word of the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then he says, because of this, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand the battle. Father, today we ask that your blessing rest upon our hearts. As as I give this message the way you gave it to me, I pray that our hearts will be open today. Lord, I know that your children need food today. They've eaten physical food all week as we all have. Without that, we would be weak, Lord. And without this word, we're going to be weak. We need this word today. And so, Lord, I pray that this word would gain us a victory, that this word would bring deliverance, that this word would bring spiritual understanding that we can win as we follow Jesus. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, we're in a spiritual warfare text, and One of the things that I I think happens sometimes is that we hear so much talk about spiritual warfare that we're almost a little desensitized to it. And I think the way that we're desensitized to it is we almost kind of lose the the aspect of the seriousness of what's happening all around us. You know, there's a cosmic battle going on beyond what we can see with our physical eyes. If the veil could be pulled back and if we could see in the spiritual realm, in the invisible realm, of which the scripture testifies that there is more, you know, we're not materialist. We, believe, we have a viewpoint of our world, of the way the word of God has given it to us. And here, of course, in this text, and I'm actually not going to be able to get to this part of verse 12. I'm actually going to, I want to look at verse 11 and verse 13, and you'll see how I'm going to tie this together. But this is a serious conflict that we're in. It's a serious battle that we're in. It doesn't have to do with physical territories. It doesn't have to do with, with uh, resources that one nation may take from another nation. This doesn't have to do with earthly power in a sense. But this is an eternal battle. And it's not a question if you're going to face spiritual warfare. Every human being, both saved and lost, are facing spiritual warfare today. But I will declare to you, only those 
who know Jesus Christ and are panoplied with his armor are ever going to win any spiritual battle because there's only one that can win, and that's Jesus. You and I can't win on our own, but Jesus has led us in on his victory. Shout amen. amen. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. John said this, this is the victory, even our faith. I've got my faith in him today. But we're in this battle, and, and this battle has to do with the destiny of souls, the destiny of men and women. This is a very serious spiritual warfare. So it's not a question, or am I going to face spiritual warfare? It's not a question if, it's a, it's a question of how you will face it, and it's a question if you will win or if you will lose and there's many and most in our world today that are losing because they don't know the one Jesus who can help them win it. But this passage is interesting because it helps us identify the battle and locate it. But it also has instructions on how we can fight and we can overcome. Do you know the Lord wants you to be an overcomer? That's how he's identified you. Let's get rid of all this victim mentality. Let's get rid of this, all this pitifulness that we have in our world today. And they're telling these poor, precious little kids of how much victims they are. I am not a victim. You are not a victim of anything. You are a child of God. Come on, shout. I'm a child of God. I'm God's child. How can you be a victim of anything? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. I heard what that was one day. When a guy gets his check from his boss, he's a conqueror. When he goes home and gives it to his wife, she's more than a conqueror. So now because we want to have time to pray for our boys and girls, there are four truths that the Holy Spirit brought out to me that I want to give to you. If we're going to fight in this battle and win in this battle, if we're going to be successful, there's four truths that are evident here to me, and I hope they're evident to you. And the first one is found in verse 11. I'll read this verse again. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand to stand, that is, against the wiles of the devil. The first principle is this, is that we must fully embrace the will of God. Let that settle in on you. We must fully embrace the will of God. There can be no half-heartedness. There can be no shallowness. There can be no fence straddling. If you're ever going to win over the enemy and his, and his schemes and his minions that war against you and your body and your mind and your emotions and your family and your marriage and the culture around us, don't kid yourself. Don't stick your head in the sand. It's evident. You can't see these wicked spirits, but you can see, sure, sure see their influence. You can see what's happening in our culture today. And if we as the family of God, we as the people of God are ever going to win in this battle, you must put on the whole, everybody say the whole armor of God. You can't say, well, you know, I got just, I got one shoe on a piece. I got one little shoe a piece on. Never going to make it, friend. You got to fully embrace the will of God for your life. You know what God does? God calls you to fight on his side. He calls you to stand for him. 
and he's calling you to stand with him. I like what Joshua said. Joshua looked at the people of Israel, and he was basically telling them in a sense, listen, you got to fully embrace the will of God. You can't serve those Canaanite gods. You can't serve Asherahs and, and, and Canaanites and Hivites and Perizzites. You've got to choose you this day whom you will serve. And then he told them this, I don't know what you're doing, but I've chose to fully embrace the will of God. And he said this, as far as me, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Come on. We're going to embrace the will of God. We're going to have the whole armor of God upon our lives. We have to ask ourselves the question, what are we fighting for today? What are we living for today? What are the goals of your life? What are you spending your time, your talents, and your treasures upon I want to tell you this, the Lord has a plan for your life. The Lord has a will for your life. And hear this, the most important thing in your life today is not position, it's not power, it's not money, it's not comfort, it's not certainly not earthly advancement. But the most important issue that faces every single one of us today is this. It is the will of God. Will I fully embrace the will of God for my life? The will of God demands that we make God a priority. Everybody say priority. priority. Seek ye third the kingdom of God. Seek ye 18th the, 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 the kingdom of God. Seek ye convenience. In the, is that what it said? No. no. Seek ye what? First. first. Everybody say it. First. First. First is not second. First is not when I fit it in. First is first. First is he supreme. First is he is Lord. If we're ever going to win in this battle, and this is why many Christians live in perpetual defeat. They may get a victory and a revival once or twice a year, but if you want continual victory, you've got to put on the whole armor of God. You've got to embrace everything God has for your life. You've got to say yes to Jesus in every aspect of our lives. The things of God can't be last on my list. Church services, church activities, the serving God can't be displaced with secular activities. And this is the pressures on our modern family, is it not? We faced it raising our kids. This pressure, this pressure to conform, this pressure to have to make a choice. And we pray for you parents and you parents that are putting God first in your children God bless you. We're praying for you. We're cheering for you. You're making decisions now that are going to be hard decisions that your kids are not going to agree with. They're going to get upset with you. They're going to go pout in their room. But you have to make a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You can't be indulging in every single thing that comes along. Even things that are good. They may be good. But the enemy's trick is to get us so busy that we don't even have two seconds to serve him and to worship him and make a difference for him. And so we must make those choices. You know, there's some impossibilities Two of them, the scripture says, first of all, that it's impossible. You can't serve God and the world at the same time. That's an impossibility. James said that, that to be a friend with the world is to be an enemy of God. And then secondly, he said you can't serve God and money. 
You're going to serve one or serve the other. You can't serve both because they're both demand total worship of our lives. So if we're going to battle and we're going to win, we have to fully embrace God's will for our lives. Well, pastor, what does that look like? Now, I can't tell you who you're supposed to marry. You know, there's people that get so detailed, they go beyond. You have to make that choice. My job is not to tell you what house to buy. My job is not to tell you what car to buy or when to take a vacation. But my calling is to give you spiritual instruction so you can make choices in the will of God for your life. And what I want to show you here is that God has a plan for our lives. What does that plan look like? Pastor, if I'm in this battle and I'm fully... See, the enemy's trying to pull you away from the will of God. That's part of the battle that you're in. He does not want you to put the full armor of God on. He wants you to be a Sunday morning Christian. He wants you to be one of those folks that just kind of one, one toe in the water. But Jesus is, Paul is very clear here. Jesus speaking to him by the Spirit and said, put on the whole armor of God. Fully embrace God's will in this battle, what does that look like for my life, Pastor? I can give you general spiritual principles, and I can tell you, first of all, your life in the will of God will involve service. It will always involve service. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, and he died for all. Would you agree with that? He died for all? Look at this. That those who live, that means those who've been saved and have his life now, should live no longer, no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You ever wonder why there's, so, there's a lack of workers throughout the body of Christ? I mean, you can go, no matter where you go in America, whatever church, we always need more workers. And I think the answer is that many Christians have not embraced, fully embraced the armor of God and the will of God for their lives. Many Christians are focusing on earthly things. And Paul and others have talked about this. But the will of God will involve service. But the will of God will also involve surrender. And maybe I should have given that one first. This is a verse we were talking about this morning. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look at the screen and look at these verses. Meditate on them. Let them speak to your heart. I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you, therefore, by my brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, according to all Jesus has done in his death for you, in his price paid on your behalf, in his resurrection, the mercies, all that God has done. Then he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. See, he's saying here in a sense Selfish living is completely unreasonable because of what Jesus has done for us. The most loving and giving and selfless person the world will ever know is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And to not surrender our lives in the light of the enormous love and grace of God through Christ is completely unreasonable. And then he said this, and be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is describing the full surrender of our earthly lives as we fully embrace the armor of God, as we fully embrace the will of God for our lives. We're not living for sin anymore. 
That old life is buried and gone. That old life is dead. That old Joe is gone. He's, this new life is different. This new life is centered in Jesus. This new life is growing in godly character. We might not be all we're going to be or what we want to be, but we're going to be that one day according to the word of God. But what we have said is, because we're putting on the whole armor of God, we're saying yes to Jesus. I fully surrender my life to you. And in the Old Testament, they, they killed the sacrifice and made them do it. They take a bull, a lamb, a dove, and they, they wasn't willingly. I can tell you, none of those animals went willingly. Not a one. But in this New Testament life, our sacrifice, Jesus shouldn't have to beg us to come to church. I mean, what are we suffering here? We came from air-conditioned home, got in an air-conditioned car, coming to an air-conditioned building. And, and dear brother, not to shame any of us, but just to give us a, a, a reality today, there are brothers and sisters around the world that don't even have a Bible they don't, they don't have a church building. We got two church buildings. We have two church buildings. We have two buildings. Some, some people don't have one building. I, I watched in China several years ago, there was a mega church that, that thousands, the government came in because they did something they didn't like, leveled the entire building. Can you imagine living in that culture? Do you know how blessed we are? We're so blessed. Say, I'm blessed. And, you know, every day of my life, I'm blessed. We're blessed today. We're blessed. And, and what's acceptable is we say, yes, I, I embrace the will of God. I put on the armor, armor of God, and I say yes to Jesus. Pastor, what is the will of God? What does putting on this armor look like? Service. Always service. And it's service about others. You know, it's like the, the Lord, you know, somebody comes to the altar. Oh, use me, Lord. You ever done so? You're worshiping. You're singing the song. Stephanie and the team are singing so beautiful. And we're, oh, we're tears are flowing down. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. And then pastors start asking you to do some things. And you go, all that church does is use me. <laughs> Don't shout me down. Don't shout me down today. The will of God is sacrifice surrender but the will of God also concerns now this is a big one here because this it's in our face every day our kids are being brainwashed it has to do with sexual purity sexual purity here's what the Bible says when I put this armor on God says he wants us to be pure in our hearts he wants to be pure in our minds the Bible says, you say, it's, well, it was hard to live for God in the Old Testament. Jesus said, don't even look on a woman to lust after her. You talking about hard? The standard's higher. Yeah. This is God's will. Look at Thessalonians says this, for this is the will of God. It's clear. It didn't even, there's no ambiguousness there. This is the will of God. Look at this. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. That's his body. In sanctification. And in honor. Not in passion of lust. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. To live in immorality is to live just like a lost person. Adultery and fornication, which is sexual impurity and morality, has become so common in our day that if you live by the standards of God's word, you are seen as a weirdo. 
you are, you are seen, do you realize today what our teenagers are facing? If a, if a young lady is a virgin, the other kids mock her in many cases. Mock her. What do you mean? You've never, oh, you're a virgin. But let me tell you what God says. God is proud of you. God is proud of you. You have nothing to be ashamed of. When you please God, you've got God's pleasure on your side and he smiles on you. That's all you need to please God. We don't take our cue from the world's. We take our direction from the word of God. And God said, if we're going to have his armor on and we're going to embrace his will, that involves sexual purity. We are inundated with this immorality, with this ridiculousness, with this delusion that what you imagine, you are. I heard a young lady that she was, you know, changed her pronouns, you know, changed her pronouns because she was feeling a certain way. I read last week, she feels feminine again. She's going back to the other pronouns. You think I'm going to follow some lunatic that can't even know what they are? I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow the word of God. Here's what the psalmist says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Why would I get counsel of the ungodly? Nor sits, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's where I'm taking my cue from. That's how I'm going to raise my family. That's how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to not listen to mockers and scoffers and the confused. I'm not confused. Are you confused? I'm not confused. I have the light. I have the word of God. It is true. It is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Thank God. You want to stay clean? And you got to work on staying clean. You, you can't even click Fox News on. We're getting some kind of whatever popping up here and there. How do we stay clean? You got to keep your mind clean. God's will is that you keep your heart clean and your mind clean. And here's how to do it. Here's how we keep our minds clean. And by the way, parents, you better watch your kids' internet. They're smarter technologically than you. I'm not picking on any kids here, but I'm telling you, on their phones, you can get the most rotten filth there is, and it'll destroy a child's life. It'll destroy the purity of their little hearts and their little minds. You better guard. You better put locks on it and uh, uh, security system kind of things. Here's how we stay clean. How can a young man cleanse his way? Do you know that young men can live clean today? Think you can live clean? You said, well, I mean, I wouldn't listen. How can the God of heaven that's awesome and powerful, you think he can't keep you clean if you want to be clean? We can be clean. Amen. How do we do it? By taking heed according to your word. Verse 10, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You get full of the word of God, you're going to be clean. And you're going to stay clean. Let's be clean today in Jesus' name. Let's be sexually pure before God. But Paul said, let it not even be named among you. Here's, here's another aspect as we move along. Is we're going to have the whole armor. We're going to embrace the will of God. The will of God comes through prayer. Some people talk about the will of God and they say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Oh, I'm going to get a book on the will of God and then they're going to, I'm going to watch this podcast on the will of God and, and what do you think, preacher? And what do you think, deacon? And what do you think? Why don't you ask God? I don't know what God wants you to do, but I know there's a father who loves us. There's a father who can communicate with his children. He can show you what he wants you to do. 
For the first part of my life, I was lost. I was wondering. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was broken. I was lonely. But the moment I got saved, it's like my, the compass of my life got set. I knew what God wanted me to do. Almost from the moment I was saved, within a few weeks, I knew that I would preach the gospel the rest of my life. I never had a paradigm for that. But that's what God can do. He can show you his path if you'll let him. Have you prayed? Jesus said pray like this. Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul said in, in his writings in Colossians, for this reason, since today I heard of it, that you were saved, that is, I do not cease to pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. If you don't know what God wants you to do, go in your room, slam the door, grab your Bible, get on your knees, pray in the Spirit for 30 minutes an hour. God will show up and he will lead you and guide you in paths of righteousness. Let's embrace the will of God, the full armor of God. Let's just don't have a, a shoestring of the, of the shoes of peace, right? Let's put it all on. Look at this. And I think I would say this. There needs to be a sensitivity to God's voice. Can I hear an amen? Now, this is subjective, but I believe God speaks to his children. They that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. This is what Jesus said. The words of Jesus, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I want to know his voice. I want to be sensitive to his voice. First of all, the voice of his word. The word of God is always the will of God. But the Holy Spirit can woo us. The Holy Spirit can touch our heart, touch our conscience. He can put things in our heart and in our mind. We need to be sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord. And if you want to be guided by God and his will, be willing to do his will. Amen. I talked to a guy for about seven years. Everyone's going, I just I know God's got something for me. I know, and it just went on for years. I know there's... I know there's something. I know there's something. Pastor, I know there's something. Pray for me. And I had to come to a conclusion after all that time. Do you know why God hasn't shown this person the will, his will? Because he knows in his heart this man doesn't, will not do his will. The key to understanding the will of God is to first of all say, Lord, I will do anything you want to do. I'll go to Mongolia. Wow. Wow. Right, Grayson? Amen. Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go to Mongolia. I'll do anything. I'll witness to this person. Oh, I'm a little afraid. doesn't matter, God. If you tell me to do it, I'll do it. I've died to that fear. If you'll be willing. Here's what Jesus said. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know his teaching. John 17. John 7, 17. Think about it. Have you embraced the will of God? Have you put on the full armor? Have you embraced it fully? Have you fully surrendered, fully pursuing God's will for your life? First thing needs to happen. If we're going to win in this battle, we've got to fully embrace the will of God. Now let's move quickly. Secondly, look at this. Verse 11 says, put on. Everybody say put on. Put on. Put on. Now this is language of spiritual growth. Here's the second thing. We must pursue spiritual growth. Put on, put on the whole armor of God. This language of put on, put off the old man, put on the new man, put on righteousness, put on Christ, put on the fruits of righteousness. This has to do with spiritual growth, growing in Christ's likeness. Now you're listening. Lack of spiritual growth and lack of maturity in the body of Christ is a very serious matter. Now, let me, let me clarify this. 
There's a, there's a time frame of spiritual immaturity. I mean, if you know, we have a new grandson, Arlo, and, and you know, he can't drive yet. We can't expect him to, you know, hey, so why, don't you, why aren't you vacuum in the floor yet? Well, boy, why don't you clean up? Why well, he's a baby. You got to carry him around. There is a time frame that someone gets saved, and they go through that stage, and they can't do too much. They're learning to walk. They're learning to live for the Lord. But how I many you know if you've been saved 20 years and you still don't even have a clue what you're doing there is something seriously wrong in your life. There is something that is awry in our spiritual lives. Paul understood this, or the, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, Paul addressed this issue of those who initially came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, but did, wouldn't grow up. And it was a huge problem where Paul, I keep saying Paul, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the writer of Hebrews, in, in Hebrews 5 and 10 it says, or Hebrews 5 and 11, he says, of whom I have much to say to you and hard to explain. I have some things I've been really wanting to talk to you about. He said, but since you have become dull of hearing. So in other words, not only were they not growing, they were actually going backwards in spirituality. They had grown dull where they used to be teachable and ready to move forward for God. They, weren't, they were not, not just growing. They were going back. And he says this. He says, though for this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you again. The first principles are the oracles of God. And they become in need of milk and not solid food. And he, he, what's he talk, he's talking about this problem. In this battle, we better be pursuing spiritual growth in our lives what happens when we're not growing spiritually let me give you a few thoughts first of all is this when we're not growing spiritually and i want to i want to say again i'm clarifying this those that should already be growing on to maturity those are the ones but they're not they're still in that infancy stage now listen to me first of all is this if we're not growing spiritually we're in direct opposition to the commands of jesus and I won't read it for time's sake, but in John 15, he talks about growth, spiritual fruit. He talks about abiding in him. He talks about fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And then he says in that text in John 15, he says, this is how my father is glorified. So when we're not putting on the full armor and we're not pursuing spiritual growth as we're in this spiritual battle, we're in direct opposition to the commands of Jesus. Secondly, I would say this, we're also a poor example to the body of Christ. Now listen, our zeal for the Lord should, should build others up. Our, we, should be in, we should have inspiring people. We should be inspiring people. We shouldn't be pulling people down. We should be pulling people up. People should, people should just be inspired. When they get around you and I, they should be, want to know more about Jesus because we are, we are pulling them up in the attitude of our lives. You know, a plane has an attitude indicator, a nose-down attitude, a nose-up attitude. Nose-down attitude means you're heading to the ground. A nose-up attitude means you're sailing up through the sky. We need a, a nose-up attitude. We need an attitude of growth. We need an attitude of moving toward the, the things of God more and more and more. You know, they say when you, when you train for anything, like let's say you want to you get better at something, sports area, you always want to train with people better than you are. If you're a runner, you want to run with those who are better shaped than you are. You want to run with people that will challenge you and get you out of your comfort zone. 
If you, you know, I like golfing. I always wanted to golf with people that are better than me. They would challenge me. They would, they would pull me up and watch them. They were, they were like, oh, how did they do that? And it would make, it would make me want to be better. And I think that's how it ought to be in the church. We ought to be so putting on the things of God. We ought to be so growing and putting on the whole armor of God and advancing in our spiritual maturity that literally as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another person. We need to be sharp when we get together. And this is what worship is all about. Worship uh, is not about coming to get our personal spiritual fix. And I got to go through Starbucks and get, I got to need that caffeine fix. I got to run through the church Sunday. Got to get my fix. Won't make it. You know, I got to deal with a bunch of knotheads out there. I got to, got to get my spiritual fix. You would be surprised at how many people feel that way. But I want you to look at this scripture and I want you to notice it's in the context, not of me personally, but it's in one another language. Now look at it. Hebrews 10, 24. You know what I've quoted. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking of the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and as much more as you see that day approaching when I come to this body, certainly you will get your need met. We pray for each other's needs. Certainly you should experience the presence and the refreshing of the Lord personally. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's all we've come for today, then we missed it. What we need to come and say, I want to pull the body up today. I want to inspire the body today. I want to move the church higher today. I want my faith to add so we go up the level in the spirit. That's the attitude of worship. Not just me, but we. Come on, everybody say, not just me, but we. Say it again. Not just me, but we. One more time. Not just me, but we. And as we're growing, we don't hinder the body, but we inspire the body. I got to go quick here. When, when, when we don't put on in spiritual growth, what happens is we give an opportunity for the enemy to snare us. Do you realize what you leave undone in your life is an open door to the enemy? Give no place to the devil, it says. Give no place. Jesus said in John 14, 30, the, the prince of the world is coming. Now, here's what Jesus said. John 14, 30, the prince of the world is coming. He has nothing in me. In other words, there was nothing in Jesus that the enemy could get a hold of. Why? Because he's perfect. He's sinless. He could not touch Jesus. There was no disobedience. There was no compromise in him. Even when he was tempted to, to, to shortcut the will of God. I'll give you all these kingdoms if you'll fall down and worship me. Get behind me, Satan. That's not the way God does it. I won't cut corners. Whatever it takes, I'll embrace the will of God. Whatever it takes, I'll follow God and put on spiritual growth. It has nothing in me, but what we leave open of the flesh, we give an opportunity of the enemy. For, for the apostle Peter, it was pride. Remember this? He said, I'm not going to, all these people may deny you. All these, Bartholomew, Thomas, Thomas is a doubter anyway, Jesus. Me? No, I'm super, super apostle Peter. I'll never deny you. I'll die for you, Jesus. That's nothing but pride. And then finally, in, in Luke 22, Jesus knew what was going on in the spirit realm. And he said, Peter. Satan has asked for you. Satan has asked to sift you. 
Satan couldn't touch Jesus, nothing in him. But that pride gave the enemy access. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing me? Listen to me. Anger gives him access. Gossip gives him access. Lust gives him access. Self-pity gives him access. Selfishness gives the enemy access. Where we don't put on and advance and grow up spiritually out of these immature areas, the enemy can get a foothold there and he can damage your life. It affects the spiritual immaturity. It hinders the growth of the church. And why is that? i got to be quick here. Because babes are always on the receiving end. Very rarely on the giving end. Immature Christians are always on the receiving end. Always on the handout end. Okay? But the spiritually mature, they don't have time to sit around and worry about all this. They're worried about who's going to pay the bills of the church, how the finances are going to come in, what are we, how are we going to pay the contractors, who's going to lead the prayer meetings, who's going to turn off the lights, who's going to come early to open the classroom, who's going to do the praying, who's going to do the giving, what about the, 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 the trash, who's going to do all that stuff? Do you do all think this just happens? No. The spiritually mature don't have time to think about themselves. They're too busy giving themselves to others. But notice this. Those who are spiritually mature, they may get tired, but where joy comes from is giving. When we pour out ourselves in service to others, that's where the joy is. Selfishness, I, I, I think, Sister Dorothy, you gave me a book one time. And, and, and the title was Selfishness Brings Sadness or something like that. Unhappiness, something like that. Selfishness is the, and I thought, this is one of the great, it's like a little bitty book. It was one of the greatest little books that I've ever seen because it's so true. It's so true. Listen, church, the spiritual mature don't have the luxury of sitting around and thinking about themselves. They're too busy praying, caring for others, preaching, visiting the sick, winning the lost. Hmm. We've got to get over the nonchalant attitude about spiritual growth. Amen. Now, I'm going to give you two more because I'm, I'm not going to come back to this. Here comes our boys and girls. Oh, so, so beautiful. Amen. So beautiful. Hi, kids. How are y'all? Y'all good? Okay. If y'all would stand there very quietly, I'll be done in another hour. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, they look so beautiful. Now, Listen. Ah, is in me. Can you tell? I got this word in me today. If we're going to win in this battle, we have to fully embrace the will of God. If we've got to, if we're going to win in this battle, we have to pursue spiritual maturity. We got to put on the right things. We got to get out of the baby stage. You know, you ever met somebody that that says, well, "I'm not. I'm just not getting fed. I'm just not getting fed." That's the silliest thought I've ever. That's they have just revealed how immature. How immature they are. No spiritually mature person would ever say something like that. We have to put on, we have to pursue spiritual maturity so the church can be strong. Now, I'm going to give you these two more. I may come back later on, but I want to give you the points. And then I'm going to pray for these youth and boys and girls. If we're going to win in this battle, we, we have to have full confidence in the weapons God's given us. 
You hear me? We have to have full confidence in the weapons which God has given us. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Now listen, you look out in the world, you look out at our own city, you see the problems in families, the enormous problems in society. You can feel the enormity of it. You, we can feel intimidated. If we're, if we're on our own, it's a huge need in our world. There's so many millions and millions of lost people. But listen, we don't look out in fear. Why is that? Because we have full confidence in the weapons which God has given the church. He said, take under the whole armor of God. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us power, love, and a sound mind. Now listen to me today. We are not outmanned and we are not outgunned. You hear me today. God's weapons will accomplish what he desires. God's weapons will save the vilest sinner. God's weapon will rescue from the deepest despair. God's weapons will heal the most terrible sickness. God's weapons will overcome the greatest opposition because these weapons are not natural, but they are spiritual and they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, he said. You have full confidence in the weapons God has given. And then... There's a whole, I guess there may be another sermon there. But lastly, I would say this. We have to, we have to take a stand. You ever met these folks? You never know where they stand. Because they never really stand for anything strongly. They're just like a chameleon, whoever they're with. And you never really know. I met preachers like this. They're almost like politicians. They're so smooth and buttery. Their speech is so smooth. They've never brought anyone under conviction because they don't have any convictions. They've never offended anyone. If you're a minister in this wicked age and you've never offended anyone, you are not worth your salt. And we're certainly not trying to offend anyone. Just preach. Just let the word of God go. Just let it out of the cage. It will offend. We desperate. I was talking to my wife today. Today, this morning, we were sitting there. She was telling me about her lesson. And there is a series, and parents, listen to me. I want to get you in on this. There's a series. It's a video series. And when I saw it, I said, our kids desperately need this. And it was, there was an elementary school teacher. And she saw what these kids were bringing to school. They had a set down time, and some of these kids, they were going to do a quiet time, and some of these kids started setting it and doing a Hindu kind of deal, you know, kind of a sitting in the Indian style and, 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 and doing that. And, and she realized, some of these were from Christian homes, and she realized how many Christians and boys and girls do not have a biblical worldview. But the reason the kids don't have a biblical worldview is because parents don't have a biblical worldview. They've taken up the vision of the world. But I saw this video series of this lady that was once a school teacher. And she has developed such a burden. And I watched her and I feel in all my heart, this is a woman of God. She developed a kid series, seven-week series of how to teach little children, like these children, a biblical worldview. And I said, we've got to do it. We, Nick, when we get in our building, one of the first things we may do, and we want to get you parents in on this, we want to do a seven-week series of how to get these kids to learn about how God sees the world. What is a biblical worldview? It's seeing the world through the lens of God's will. It's seeing how God created the world, seeing the world through the lens of the Word of God. God, who is God? 
What is he like? What is salvation? How do I receive salvation? What is the word of God? Is it a myth and a bunch of fairy tales or is it it's objective truth? What about sexuality? What about gender? What is the word of God? What's the worldview? What about other religions? Are they just like Christianity? It, what if everyone's sincere in all of their religions? Will they make heaven? What about family? What is a family today? What about marriage? What is a marriage? What about money? How do we spend money? The Word of God gives us a biblical worldview on everything we'll ever need in this life. And oh, how our boys and girls need to need a guide. And we have to provide that. And then one of the first things we're going to do in our new children's, we're going we're gonna to teach them and we're going to take them through this series. Parents, we want to get you involved in this. You gotta get, you, we gotta, we want to we partner with you in this. But we have to take our stand. We have to take our stand. Amen.